Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18 is where we're going to be this morning. Let me kind of give you a big picture of what's going on in Colossians. If you read the book of Colossians, the author actually starts out by praising them for their faithfulness, for their good works, for all the things that they're doing. And you kind of really got to look. And you kind of look at what's going on in the background to get the idea why he's doing this. In fact, in the church of Colossae, a religious group has come into the church, okay? And what I mean by religious group, one of those groups that won't agree with what is happening in the church. They don't believe the way everybody believes. And this religious group is trying to convince the members of the Colossae church to stop doing what they're doing, okay? Let's not do that stuff anymore. And so there's an issue arising with this. In fact, they're being taught uh, that everything that Jesus taught them was false. So you can't imagine what's going on there. In fact, somebody had slipped into their midst and began to tell them that they weren't even acceptable to God. And, but what they needed to do was listen to this other group, and they would give them all these rules to follow. And then when they did that, they would be accepted by God. But also these false teachers were guaranteeing that if you followed them, then we would get to heaven. So understand, yes, Paul praises them because there's a group there that's holding firm. They're doing well, but there's still this group that's doing all this stuff in the background. And that's why we go, go to Colossians and we read what's happening. So let's begin. Colossians chapter 1, start with verse 15. I love this description of Christ. Paul says this. He says, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He says, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And if he is the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. Okay? I love that. So our text this morning in our title is, He is Lord because of who he is. Because he's Jesus. In almost every church, uh, at some point or another, and it's usually when things aren't going well, someone will stand up and ask, who's in charge? Or if something's going on and it's not good, somebody's going to stand up and say, hey, look, I'm in charge around here, okay? And we're going to understand, I want you to know as we get this started, there's no power struggle going on here at West Liberty. There's no issues between somebody and somebody that's saying, I'm in charge, not in charge. This is just what's happening at Colossae, okay? But understand this, it does happen in our churches. I heard this week of a minister friend who's on the camp committee with me been at a church for 14, 15 months, and they let him go this week because the church wasn't following him, okay? And I'm going, it's a choice of who we follow, and I agree with that. And the one thing he's done in these 16 months, give or take, is their bylaws, and this is a very conservative church. I've talked about them before, that when I lived at camp, they caught us playing Uno in the cafeteria. We had to take it to the basement of our house because we were being evil for paying Uno. You know, this is this church, okay? And in their bylaws, it said that if you've been divorced, you can't serve as a deacon or an elder, okay? They're very conservative about that. But a large part of this church goes to a family camp over in Ohio that's led by a minister who's been divorced. And I'm going, eh, 
you know, figure this one out, people. You know, so they let him go, and I'm going, whoa, you know, that's, that's nuts. You know, it ha- happened to me at New Hope. I was there 14 months, but I wasn't leading, even though the church had grown from 200 to almost 400 in 14 months, you know, but we weren't doing anything. But what I was told, the right people weren't coming. 40 of those that were coming were baptized, you know. So, you know, let's, let's put our brain together here, guys, and think, think about this. So somebody at some point is going to say, who's in charge? Or they're going to self-recognize, say, I'm in charge. And we have to understand this unique experience that we have. And it could be both. It could be in charge or whatever, but we're going to get to the bottom of this. There's a story about a young century, or century, who was guarding a gate in the military. And he was told by no means does anybody get through that gate unless they have a special emblem on the plate. Well, it wasn't long until a car pulled up, did not have the special emblem, but this guy had a driver. It was a high-ranking colonel. The young sentry went to the car and said, I'm sorry, but you don't have the special emblem, so you can't pass the gate. And the general kind of gave him a hard time, and he finally went up to the driver and said, don't worry about it, just go on through. The young sentry just kind of thought for a second and looked in the car and said, sir, who do I shoot first, the driver or you? You know, he had a good idea of what was going to happen. You know, even though this guy had power and authority, he knew who was in charge, and it wasn't the guy in the car. And it's more that way sometimes. Who should we listen to? Who has the authority to tell me what's right or wrong? Who has the authority to tell me how to live my life? Who has that? In the story above, this century fully understood his responsibilities. That's what we've got to do. You see, as far as the century was concerned, he only had that one authority, and that was his commander. Now, I want you to understand there are times when people get worried about who's in charge at the church. Okay, or in our churches. In some churches, the people in charge are with those people have positions of authority or perceived positions of authority. The Catholic Church, who's ultimate charge? The Pope. Okay, the Pope's in charge. Or you look at other churches, they have church hierarchy. Some churches answer to a big council, so they get together once a year and they make all these rules, and it causes mass havoc usually. But all these churches, could you imagine having a council out in California making rules for us? At Covington? Wow. That would be tough. Or there's other councils that determine doctrine, or like us, we have elders. Some people believe the preacher's in charge. <laughs> That's not the case. Or church boards. You know, I've even had, I've read through ministers and look at different churches and, you know, look for different things, and I love what ministers call themselves. You know, if they have the doctor, it's always doctor so-and-so, or it's reverend, or I made fun of a youth minister. We called him Holy Reverend Father. You know, yes, you know, Holy Reverend Father. I've had people, you know, I've seen they call themselves apostles. That's stretching it just a little bit. You know, but it gives them that authority. I've seen overseer. I've seen lead servant. You know, what do you call me? Kurt. (laughs) You got it. You know, that's what it is. But there always seems to be that issue, who's in charge, or I'm in charge here. And this is what's going on at the Colossae Church. I think they're asking now, who's in charge? What are we going to do about these things? And we need to understand all these things. In other churches, people with authority are the ones who've had experiences. So I could stand up here easily and say, well, you know, I've had 35 years of preaching ministry. So that gives me the experience to rule over, right? I'm telling you, it's different every day. I don't care what experiences you've had, it's not going to get you through the day all the time. 
They'll say things like, God told me this or to do this or do that. And when somebody tells me that, I'm going to use Haley as an example. Haley comes up to me and says, you know, God told me that we need to do a mission trip to Hawaii. Now, first, I'm going to believe her, okay, because God told her to take me with him. I'm, that's all I'm saying. But usually when somebody says that, that God told me to do this, it's a way of saying, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to get done. It has nothing to do with God or the mission of the church or what's going on in the church. It's more of a self-centered thing. This is what I want. This is something I want to do, and we've got to be careful about that. Or they'll go beyond that, what God has said to them, and they'll tell me, God has asked me to share this with you. And it kind of gives it that authority thing. In fact, John Maxwell, you've heard of John Maxwell and the pastor, great leader, was in the Lutheran church for a long time and uh, now does leadership summits. But when he was at a church, he said at one time he had this lady, and he was Lutheran, but he would have some Pentecostal to him. We'd come up to him every Sunday and say, God has told me that I should lead in a special song this morning. Well, John, not wanting to you know, dismiss God's words to her, would let her. But John said, she was a bad singer horrible singer so he said every sunday it was this god told me that i should do a special god told me to do this but one saturday night he was praying about it and you know not wanting this lady to sing again that next sunday he got this thought so that next morning she came up and said god has told me to sing a special this morning john looked at her and says when god tells me to have you sing a special i'll have you come up he goes the amazing thing is she's never been asked back up you know and that's kind of the way it is. God told me that I want this, and that gives us that authority. So there are people who try to exert authority by virtue of their position or their supposed experiences in life. So let me ask you, who's in charge of the church here at West Liberty? I mean, that's, that's a good question. I mean, who's in charge? Who has the most experience? Who's the ultimate authority? Well, in case you had any doubts, Paul tells us that the Colossians, there was one individual who has the authority. Who has the experience? Who has the credentials? Then the only credentials that can make the ultimate decision of that church and it should be and what it should be. And that one person is this, is Jesus Christ. Okay? Do we agree? Is it, do I kind of get an amen or something that we are on the same boat here? Okay. It's Jesus Christ. I mean, catch the text again. Verses 15 through 18. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. It says, for him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In other words, Jesus is everything. Jesus is everything. There's nothing in heaven, there's nothing on earth that could exist without him. He holds everything together because of who he is. I don't even know who Stephen Hawking is. He's a brilliant scientist. Uh, the only way I know who Stephen Hawking is is I watch Big Bang Theory. Okay? And he was a big scientist of, uh, yeah, sorry, but yeah, that's me. Um, single theory describes the whole, and this is what he said. This, Stephen Hawking says this. Understand, Stephen Hawking is an atheist. Okay? He says this. The eventual goal of science is to provide a single theory that describes the whole universe. A single theory. What would our answer be to that? Who was that single theory? Jesus Christ. God, absolutely. That's not what he is saying. He actually said science makes God 
unnecessary. Okay? It's sad, but it's true. A brilliant mind, brilliant man. Black hole theories and all that. But he says science makes God unnecessary. So Jesus is everything. And because Jesus is everything, our text says Jesus has supremacy over all creation, whether the things in heaven, on earth, whether the things that are visible or invisible, that he has the right to be the head of the body of the church because he is the beginning of the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have this supremacy. What that means is this. I'm going to break it down real easy. What that text means is, I'm not in charge of this church. Okay? Let's just grab onto that. Hard for me to say, you know, I'm not in charge of this church. But Russell is our chairman of the board, chairman of the elders right now. He's not in charge of the church. Okay? Let's just grab onto that. Our Sunday school teachers aren't in charge of the church. Okay? The deacons aren't in charge of the church. Junior is not in charge of this church. Paul is not in charge of the church. You know, let's just get that very, oh, that's not good. <laughs> let's just make that very, very clear. They're numbered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's loving that. Where was I? Wait, who's in charge? Obviously, not, yeah. I'm not in charge, am I? Gravity's in charge. I'm not in charge. But even the elders, the church board, okay, they're not in charge of the church. Now, understand, each one of us in the church may have a responsibility in certain areas and certain roles that we play. But folks, I want us to understand this. Make no mistake about it. We do not have the final say of how to run this church. Are we okay with that? Have I confused you a little bit? Are you worrying about me here for just a second? Where I'm going with this? But I want you to know, neither does the Pope. He doesn't have charge of the church or any council, any church board, or anyone who claims to have a special experience given by God. They don't have control of the church. And we need to grab that. We may have the idea that we can choose to do this or to do that. And we may think that's what it's all about. You know, that we have these meetings, we decide to do this, we do that. But if it's a true God thing, it doesn't matter if we decide to do it or not. We may say we're going to do this ministry and we do it and we do it well, but we don't do this ministry and this is the one God wants us to do. But we say, no, that's not us. And we think, that's it. If we're not going to do it, God's going to say, well, that's cool. We don't need to do it. But if God wants it done, understand, he's either going to use us or he's going to move on to another church to another group of people to get that job done. So we may say no, but God's going to say, yeah, this job needs to get done. And it's either us or somebody else. We are who? West Liberty what? Church of Christ. Our name says it all, doesn't it? We are a church of Christ. And that's great. I love that idea. It gives us a great idea of who we are. At least that's what the sign says out front. And as long as we are West Liberty Church of Christ, we will be a church that belongs to Christ, that listens to Christ, that obeys Christ. We will truly be the church of Christ. If not, we will be just West Liberty Church, the big church on the hill out in the country, has a beautiful building, yay, raw. Okay? That's all we'll be. 
We won't be the church that God wants us to be. Now, Jesus tells us how we can be given this position of authority. Okay? There are positions of authority in this church. You're going to find out what it is. It's a secret. Okay? But I'm going to tell you what it is. I'm going to let you know my little secret. If you want a position of authority in any of Christ's church, it's this. Become a servant. Become a servant. There's a greatness when it comes to Jesus. In spite of everything that I've just said, Jesus wants to give us a possibility of a greatness in this church. So understand that. It's a great thing to be a servant. And it has nothing to do with position. It has nothing to do with the position that we hold or what we do or what we don't do. But it's a matter of being a child of God and serving who God is in our life. You see, all this has everything to do with how much Jesus is Lord of our life. It has everything to do with how much Jesus is Lord of our life. If you would, turn with me to Mark chapter 10. You'll remember this story. We're talking about authority and position and all those things in the church. Listen to what Mark says in Mark 10, 35 through 37. It says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left hand in your glory. Since these two are asking for Jesus for two positions of authority, the right hand and the left hand of Jesus. You see, all they wanted was positions of authority and power. That's all James and John wanted. They wanted to be lifted up. They wanted to be glorified a little bit. Read on, verses 38 through 41. Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. So let me ask you this. Why were the other guys mad at James and John? Because they didn't think about it. They didn't think about it first. Okay? They were mad. and said, man, why didn't we think about that? We should have asked Jesus to do that. But we read several times of the apostles and disciples getting into arguments all the time about doing different things, doing this and that. But then it goes on and says, Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them? And their high officials exercise authority over them? Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must first become a servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. So how do we become important in this church? Really, in any church? We've said it before. Become a servant. Find a way to minister to people who have a need. Find a way to minister that honors Jesus. Because I'm going to tell you, the greatest servant in this church has more respect and more honor in the eyes of Jesus than even I do, or our elders, or our deacons, or our teachers, because we're honoring who Jesus is, that we become a servant. Now, I want you to know, I say all this knowing that we got VBS starting next week. And what I love about that is simply this. We have 42 volunteers working at VBS. Now, when you kind of do the math, that's over half of our congregation. That's awesome. 
Don't get me wrong, that is an awesome thing that we're going to serve for VBS for a week. I know it's just a few hours a night, but we're going to have kids come in and we're going to do all this stuff with them and tell them about who Jesus is. And I want you to know that's, that's an awesome thing. But why a servant? What does he say to become a servant? Because the person who lives their lives that way shows that Jesus is Lord of their life. If we live as servants, true servants, not for the honor, not for the glory, not for the prestige, but truly to serve Jesus, that's when Jesus is truly Lord of our life. I look at Brent sitting back here, and Becky does it now. You know, two volunteer firefighters. You know, and that's one of those things, I did it for years, you know, and all that kinds of stuff. You know, we see a lot of times them out on the road, or we see pictures of them fighting fires, all the glory, all the stuff that's really cool, you know, pulling people out of cars. I'm not making fun of it. No, I'm not, I'm not doing that. You don't see the 3 o'clock runs. You don't see that 3 o'clock when Brent gets out of bed at 3 to go to work at 5 or 6 like he used to you know, and have to work all day. And I said, I did it, but I could come in my office and grab a book and act like I'm reading, you know. Might be snoring a little bit, but I could, I could do that. And I did for years. But to truly do it with a servant's heart is when you don't get the glory and the honor and all those things, but you do it. Why? Because you know you're helping somebody else. I'm going to close this way. Caution tells us who Jesus is, Right? He tells us who Jesus is and how we should think about him. And Jesus has the right to be our Lord because of who he is. And I don't know if you can describe Jesus. I mean, it says he's indescribable. But somebody tried to do it, and he says this. He says he's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the king of glory. He says, that's my king. That's my Jesus. He said, David said, the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament show his handiwork. He says, my king is the only one of whom there are no means of measure to define him or his limitless love. There's no barriers that can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. He is enduringly strong. He is entirely sincere. He is steadfast, graceful, royally powerful, impartially merciful. He says, that's my king. He says, I'm God's son. He's the center savior. He's the centerpiece of all civilization. He stands alone in himself. He is honest and unique and unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. He's the grandest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of proven theology. He says, that's my king. That's my Jesus. He's the miracle of the age. He is everything good that you choose to call him. He's the only one able to supply all of our needs at the same time. He's a supplier of strength of the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He is our strong God and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses lepers. He forgives sinners. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. His reward, he rewards the diligent and he beautifies the meek. And the question he asks here is, do you know him? Do we know him? My king is the king of knowledge, the wellspring of wisdom, the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace, the roadway of righteousness, the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. He's the master of the mighty. He's the captain of conquerors. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of governors, the prince of princes, the king of kings, the lord of lords. That's my king. Do you know him? He says this. He says, I wish I could describe him to you, but he's indescribable. 
He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. He says, I'm coming to tell you the heavens of heavens cannot contain him, let alone man explaining him. He says, you can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off your hand. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave could not hold him. That's my king. That's who Jesus is. Praise the Lord, that's my king. Then he says this, Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Well, all the glory belongs to my king. We're not here to talk about black power, white power, green power. It's God's power. Thine is the power and the glory. We try to get prestige and honor and glory for ourselves, but the glory goes to him. Yes, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. How long is that? It's forever and ever and ever. And when you get through all the evers, then it starts all over. That's my king. You see, this is the man who has all this. Jesus is the one that's in charge. Jesus is in charge of our life. And that's what we're talking about. Jesus is Lord. But my question as we close this morning is this. Is Jesus Lord of our life? Is he truly Lord of our life? Even through all those things that we have, the things that we experience, the things that we do, even in the good times, even in the bad times, even in the hard times, you know, talking about, you know, all the experiences. I'm sorry, sorry but I guess I'm going to share this. The whole time I was at John and Shirley's, uh, from last Saturday to the finding out he had the, the lesion, the brain tumor, uh, to coming over Tuesday for Jeff and I coming over then on Thursday to help him get from his bed to the hospital bed, which would be the last time we had to move him, to showing up Saturday to seeing him, you know, pretty much unconscious. You know, I don't care what you, how many times you've done that. When those family members started coming in, you know, watching Courtney come in and, you know, tears and, you know, my heart's over there just breaking, you know. But then I also know when I went down last Saturday, I shared this with you guys. When I went down last Saturday, I don't know why I went Saturday. I was going to go wait till, wait till Tuesday, run down and see, maybe on the way back. But something told me I needed to go Saturday night. And I did. And I did. And this is, I'm not, please don't get me wrong. This is not to glorify me that I'm some special guy that God talks to and told me to go down there. But I do think he told me. I think he led me to do it. You know, yeah, I could have stayed home and watched the Cubs. Had my window open, had my Diet Coke, and I was a happy camper. But something said to go down. And I did. And, and now here we are. Here we are. You know, this week we're going to have his funeral. Uh, a celebration, and it will be. But the question I think I have for myself and for us this morning about Jesus as Lord, are we truly listening to him in our life? Is he truly Lord of our life? And I'm going to ask, I'm going to beg that we really look into our hearts and in our minds because it's so easy to listen to the world. It's so easy to listen to somebody else and say, well, that's not really that important. You know, don't, you don't have to do that to get to heaven. Well, Jesus says it all right here in this book that we call the Bible. And this is what we listen to. This is what we believe. Don't let anybody tell you any different because the Jesus that I know is truly the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he is the only one that's going to tell me, well done and good and faithful servant. Nobody else can do that. And that's what I hope to hear one day.